0: You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R dot net. And use the code BONECURCITYCAST20. The 35-story, $600 million Ritz-Carlton Portland is getting ready to open this summer, to be home to some of the most expensive real estate that this city has ever seen, even as our downtown continues to limp back from the pandemic. So how do we feel about this new slice of Portland ultra-luxury? Today on CityCast Portland, we'll break it down with Portland Business Journal real estate reporter Jonathan Bach and Suzette Smith, culture editor of the Portland Mercury. It's Tuesday, May 9th. I'm John Natariani, in for Claudia Mezza, And this is what Portland's talking about. Jonathan, Suzette, thanks for being here. Hello. Hello. So right off, I feel like we've been watching this thing coming for a long time, this giant Ritz-Carlton Hotel. And I want to just ask right off, how big of a deal do you think this really is for Portland?
1: Um, I think it's a big deal for Portland in that it speaks thematically to a lot of things that are important to Portlanders. It speaks to sort of, you know, the food cart story. It speaks to luxury living. It speaks to sort of who gets to live in downtown versus who doesn't. Um, You know, I think there is a lot symbolically that is built into the Ritz that the developers probably did not intend, Mm -hmm. but are a byproduct of just the city in which it's been constructed.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think we were ever really talking about the ultra-luxury market in Portland until this development started. What do you think about ultra-luxury, Suzette?
2: Uh, in some regards, I think I was brought into this conversation because I was angry tweeting that uh, I wasn't... <laughs> it's true. I'm just, I'm not that impressed. Um, I do think that it's a... We're watching... An interesting moment. This being, you know, like I know that they called it the like last undeveloped block, like square block in Portland, which mm-hmm. is so funny. Um, so yeah, like you had a you had a square block surrounded by food carts that everybody really liked, and then instead, the city thought it, it would be better to have a, a luxury hotel and set of condominiums. Um, and in, in any event, I it happened. We can't undo it. I'm not super impressed with reports about how great the food uh, hall is going to be.
0: Well, I mean, I think it's just wild to say that this was the last undeveloped block in Portland, though, right? I mean, because you just pointed out the food cart pod that was there, to my mind, was the central, like one of the very central identities of the city for a long time. I mean, even before I lived in Portland, that was one of the first things that I remembered about mm-hmm. the city was that entire square block downtown where there are all mm-hmm. these different food carts. and
2: Yeah, that was where Nong's began, you know? Like, that's where Nong's is, began, that's yeah. That's where Nong's first did it, and- there was like a whole nother block of food carts that were just like trying to be part of that general central idea of the 10th and Alder food carts.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, I don't want to put too much symbolism on it, but it does feel like this is a really big symbolic shift of going from all these tiny businesses, a lot of them that are run by like individual people into a $600 million luxury tower.
1: Just unabashedly grab the butter knife and spread on the symbolism. Um <laughs> I mean, I I agree, though, because it resonates with me. You know, I've only lived in Portland for, you know, three and a half years. And similar to you, John, you know, uh, when I would come to Portland, like that was the central draw was going to the food carts. And I think the interesting question to pose with that is, you know, juxtaposing the food carts against the food hall is I'll be curious to see. And I don't know what the answer to this is is like, what is the difference in price points? I know that there's like an award-winning chef that's going to come in to sort of service the food hall. So, you know, like, who who are we catering to, um, literally?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and no matter what, even if it is open to the public, I feel like a food hall inside of a luxury apartment building is going to have a lot more barriers to entry than all these carts that are literally on the sidewalk. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about this Food court that is opening inside the building. Uh, it's called Flock. Um, seems like it has some decent or very good local restaurants that are going in. <laughs> Why are you skeptical, Suzette? What about it makes you go, eh?
2: Well, uh, I mean, starting on the positives, I do think that this will be the place that we can get the Kim Jong-Grillen crunch wraps on a regular basis. Yeah. God knows we want those. Um, it's going to be on the ground floor. Uh, the plan is to have those like weird garage doors that Portland loves so much to like let in the sun, like the sunshine or whatever during the the nicer months. Mm-hmm. But I mean, um, I live near the U S Bancor building, uh, big pink. Uh, and that also like when you go in, there's just a ton of kind of clandestine shops. Like there's some quality, weird <laughs> little places to get food. Um, and a very weird gym that just seems to change every week. But mm-hmm. what I'm saying here is like, certainly, and I, I also wasn't super impressed with um, like the idea of a food hall. It's just so loud in there. And I think some people like it, my coworker Courtney Yvonne was saying she loves like the beer garden kind of like, loud tables of people talking kind of vibe. But it just drives mm. me nuts when I'm downtown and I'm just trying to eat a sandwich, you know?
0: I also feel like whenever I go to, like, I'm thinking about the zipper that has its own little food hall too. I kind of get like high school lunch cafeteria vibes. <laughs> it's just, I just sort of feel like I'm eating lunch in a school again. It, 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 no matter what, it always feels like a kind of uncomfortable space to me.
2: Also, like, I have a pet peeve that the name is the same name as like a local dance studio. I'm like, did you not Google Flock Portland? Like, what's your problem?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and especially with everything that we've been seeing this year about how some food carts across Portland are struggling, the food carts that had been at that original block uh, got moved to other places around the city, and there was some reporting from the Oregonian last year that those places are having a really hard time. And again, I just feel like the metaphor comes back of this new fancy thing coming in and forcing all the businesses that built this neighborhood out and then they're struggling while, uh, you know, $9 million lofts start being built in the middle of downtown. $9 million, dollars—the the penthouse, Jonathan, is like a $9 million loft. Like you report on real estate for a living. What did you think when you started seeing these numbers coming through?
1: Yeah, so um, that's a pretty extraordinary sum for downtown Portland, you know, and uh, I think what also sets the Ritz Tower apart is this idea of it having a residential component. Because if you think of similar skyscrapers within the core, you know, you think of Big Pink, um, you think of uh, Fox Tower, Park Avenue West, like uh, these, you know, sort of glossy skyscrapers. Um, Those are office buildings, primarily. Mm -hmm. And the Ritz is office, residential, and hotels. And, I mean, by the early reports, they've had significant interest in those condos. But, again, the things that I'll be looking to see is, are people going to actually live there? Or is this just a place for people to park money? I'm not saying that nobody's going to live there. What I'm saying is I'll be curious to see the degree to which these become investment properties, where maybe somebody you know visits every now and again, versus actual residences, at a time when we're in a you know housing shortage.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting because there was this whole runaround where the developers said they were going to build low-income housing into, or like you know, not crazy ultra high market value housing into this building, and. My understanding is it got delayed, and it got delayed, and they said, yeah, we're going to do it, yeah, we're going to do it. But then there were fines associated with it because they eventually just never went through with it. Um, And part of the deal was that they were going to do this. They ended up paying like millions of dollars in fines, but they also negotiated with the city to have those fines decreased, right? Like originally the fines were going to have to be a lot stiffer, but the developers went to the city council and said like, hey, can we sort of tweak the formula so that it's not going to be as expensive if we don't follow through on this uh, low-income housing promise, which I think is... Another uh, wrinkle in this whole thing. I mean, Jonathan, do you see stuff like that happen all the time? Is it naive of me to be kind of frustrated that this is something that happened?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, Jeff Manning at The O has done a ton of good reporting on this. I uh, have been really interested to look at the the fine that they paid as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Walt Bowen. Yeah. And Walt Bowen is the developer of this project. Go on. Yeah. Um, when he and I were walking around downtown Portland, either last year or two years ago, I think it was last year, he, you know, I was putting the question to him trying to kind of get him to tell me if he was going to pay the fee or put in the affordable housing. And he grew, I, I think, kind of um, animated, uh, you know, and, and frustrated with this, you know, the fact that he would have to pay a fee mm-hmm. and with the idea, you know, of having affordable housing in the Rift. Um, so the long and short of it is they, they ended up signaling to the city that they were going to pay this fine instead of, of putting in the affordable housing. And, you know, this is their maneuvering around the, what's called the occlusionary housing program Mm -hmm. in Portland, which for those who don't know, it's buildings of a certain size need to include at least a portion of affordable housing. Um, typically if they're over 20 units. Yeah. And so developers are, you know, Many don't like it. And I, I, you know, I think that the sort of what advocates of the program would say, and I believe have said, is that one of the benefits of inclusionary housing is that it helps bring people who may not otherwise be able to afford to live in downtown Portland, for example, into downtown Portland by making available options
0: well, yeah, which which to me seems like a totally a yeah. totally reasonable program, like, yes, we should right. have inclusionary housing policies. We shouldn't you know just turn uh, our urban centers into playgrounds for ultra wealthy people, right. but if it's easy enough for developers to sort of skirt around it and just pay the fines instead of actually building the housing, it's like I mean. Allegedly, there's supposed to be some sort of provision in this where that those fines then go to like funding yeah. affordable housing units elsewhere. Right. Mm-hmm. But exactly. but I mean, it still just seems like that isn't getting us where we want to go. We're still paving the way for money to be able to um, do whatever it wants and without regard for the people who like actually live, need to live here.
2: Uh, just recently in April, we saw speaking of Jeff Manning again, who's done some excellent reporting on this. Uh, Mm -hmm. We saw the report in the Oregonian of uh, just that they had uh, planned to raise a certain amount of money and they've only really raised half of it. And I don't know, like really, I don't know what we would expect from a project at this juncture, but it does seem like, what if we watch this thing tank, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, I grant like granted when things tank, like, especially like giant buildings that are kind of hard to get into anyways, like maybe it's not super obvious, but I am just fascinated to see where this is going because, you know, like I, like I said, I complain all the time, but you can't turn back time, you know, what will it look like if they can't sell these condos, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're not immediately going to turn into artist lofts. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Although it would potentially be, there'd be, there would be bathrooms, you know, which is always the problem with turning offices into housing that we're currently looking at.
0: There would be bathrooms. Yeah. 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 Maybe we can campaign for a joint office. Portland Mercury, Portland Business Journal, CityCast Portland. all hanging out in the Ritz.
2: That was something. Yeah, that was something Joanne Hardesty said during her her candidate interview uh, during the last election cycle, which she did lose, which was the you know, like she's like, I'm interested in going into skyscrapers and like, you know, taking housing back for the people. And at that point, I was like, sounds radical. I'm in. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I'm just so fascinated to see where this goes.
0: Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll talk a little bit more about where this might all be going when we come back. All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month and six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When we were preparing for this conversation, Mm -hmm. I was talking with some people about like, yeah, and how do we know if it's going to be successful? and if we gauge success on a project like this of do the developers make a bunch of millions of dollars or is success like does this actually work for the city and i'm wondering what you guys think you know what would this look like if you can look back in five years and be like all right that was a good deal after all like what would success Mm -hmm. of the ritz carlton look like to you
1: well i think it's really difficult to answer um because there is a housing component here, which I think, again, amid the housing crisis, I think the office thing, you know, office is going to struggle probably for a long time now. Hotels are sort of, you know, I don't want to say it's neither here nor there, but it's that will likely come back as tourism, you know, knock on wood comes back. Mm-hmm. But I think that housing is really a really important part of this conversation because the fact that we are in a deep shortage um, mm-hmm. The extent to which this adds actual housing stock that people are going to live in, mm-hmm. I think that it's successful because there are then units for, you know, not high net worth individuals to live in, ostensibly, mm-hmm. Um I'm I'm like way way oversimplifying.
0: So the seven million dollar uh, apartment down the street from my house <laughs> yeah, exactly. is going to be like a like little a, bit more affordable. Right. I'm going to be able to get it for five million dollars, um, which is a is like, steal. <laughs> oh, thanks, Jonathan. You, Jonathan Box, pseudo economics. You set my mind at <laughs> right. ease. Well, I mean, I guess I can sort we of. Could, yeah, go on, Suzette.
2: We could see things like uh, what it might look as a success if you if you have the restaurants in Flock. If it turns out to be a nice place to go. Um, If it turns out to not be just the loudest place in the whole world, which is what I predict, you know, and we see those restaurants, a lot of them are like food carts that are getting maybe they're not like their first brick and mortar because some of them have had brick and mortars before. But uh, I think if we can see them move on to their own establishment, build their Mm -hmm. own business structure. And also, I know that uh, there's been talk. I don't know if it's like set in stone of having one of the areas of the food hall just for pop-ups, which I think is like such a cool thing that is happening in Portland right now, these like flash in the pan ideas of food, which is like such yeah. a huge cultural thing in Portland. Uh, I would say like food is the most popular art we have. And uh, mm. and so, yeah, yeah, to have like a place where people can experiment, I think there's room there for that to be really successful since obviously like that's an area people wanted to go to to snack
0: yeah yeah and i do think that portland is unique and that even today there is still an opportunity for like adventurous forward-thinking restaurants to exist downtown and still be relatively accessible to people you know i think of somewhere like toki which is like a nice restaurant but you can still go in and eat a reasonably priced meal there if you want to and like i don't think you're getting that in the financial district of new york or, or or downtown los angeles you know there's just not those sort of opportunities and i do see that flock uh the food court flock could uh provide some of that as well not the dance studio
2: yeah or the dance
0: studio i mean what if, what if the dance studio opened its <laughs> own restaurant if they and put the
2: dance studio in there i might like be like well i guess i was wrong <laughs> but yeah uh i do think yeah like when you look at you know like uh The most updated list has, like, they're bringing in a sushi place that's actually down the street, like Hamano Sushi, which is so cute, um, very cat-themed. And, uh, Mm -hmm. like, Biria La Plaza, like, these are great names to have in this place, and they present Portland well. It seems so unlikely that anyone would move in there that would be good for the city, uh, but it's possible.
0: If you could get one celebrity... Connected to Oregon or not, one celebrity that you wanted to lure into the Ritz, who would it be? I want to make it appealing so that John Waters buys an apartment in downtown Portland. I mean, just think about how much our entire lives would be improved just to have John Waters walking around, shopping at New Seasons, going for for strolls along the river. I think it'd be great. What about you, Jonathan?
1: I mean, if uh, Damian Lillard wants to buy a condo so that he'll he'll actually he'll stay in Portland. For the long run, yes, um, I would not be <laughs> mad about that.
2: I want Mark Ruffalo. That's a great one. What do you yeah. think? What
0: do you think Mark Ruffalo would take to most about Portland?
2: I think that he could really get people united on like the whole uh, like stewardship of wealth situation. Lord knows, all these people are sort of like, "Don't blame me because I'm wealthy," and I'm like, "Oh, I'm not blaming you because of that. I just want to see you do good things with it." I guess. Um, yeah. So Mark Ruffalo is just like a, a textbook. I guess, nice reputation guy.
0: He seems like he'd also do well in Portland weather. He seems like a guy who like has some good sturdy sweaters.
2: They don't call him Tuffalo for nothing. I sure don't. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, hopefully, hopefully they can hear us. Hopefully this podcast reaches them and we can make it happen. Uh, Jonathan, Suzette, thanks so much.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: And now for your micro dose of news. Senate Republicans walked out of the state legislature for the sixth day in a row yesterday, blocking high-profile legislation on guns, abortion, and transgender health care. The Oregon Senate requires a quorum of two-thirds of the members to be there, so Republicans can shut down legislative work, even with a minority. Senate Minority Leader Tim Knopp says there are 20 bills that his caucus is protesting. And Intel is expected to make another round of layoffs following a recent drop in revenue. The company has 22,000 workers in Washington County. Last fall, Intel let go 500 workers in California. For even more news and events, sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Portland. We'll throw a link in the show notes. Well, that's all for us today here on CityCast Portland. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to send it to a friend, tell them about it, or leave us a rating or a review. We'd really appreciate it. I'm John Natariani, in for Claudia Mezza. We'll be back tomorrow morning with a lot more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's.